war wages between endpoint protection product vendors and the missing element in the debate over Hillary Clinton's private email servers. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We begin today's report with a bitter battle in the fiercely competitive endpoint protection products market. The latest conflict pits two well-known vendors, Sophos and Silence, as they compete in a no-holds-barred match for customers. ISMG's Managing Editor for Security and Technology, Jeremy Kirk, is on the story, and he joins me to talk about it. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Eric. What's behind the standoff? Sophos says that Silence purposely hobbled its product at a recent security event in Las Vegas. Basically, both products were being shown to customers, and apparently Silence's product won out. And there was a customer in the audience that watched this demonstration who asked what the default settings for the Sophos product was. And it turns out that it appears that Sophos' product was hobbled for the demonstration. How so? It's not exactly clear, but Sophos said it later ran a test of its product versus Silence's Protect product, and its product won, meaning that it detected more malware. So Sophos put a video of this on YouTube. Sophos had obtained Silence's product from a reseller, and apparently when Silence saw this demonstration and saw that Sophos's product had detected more malware, it demanded that the video be withdrawn. Sophos decided to remove it, not because it felt that the results were inaccurate, but that it feared legal retribution against the reseller. Where does this go now? Silence says that it doesn't rig tests. I try to get in contact with executives to sort of talk to them about how they go about testing and how they go about demonstrating their product, but they won't get on the phone. And so they just merely maintain that the test wasn't rigged. So it's all very kind of a questionable situation and we don't really know who is telling the truth. What does this brouhaha tell us about the endpoint protection products marketplace? There are a lot of things going on right now. We've got old-time sort of legacy antivirus vendors that are competing against this sort of a new generation of companies like Silence and Sentinel One. And those companies are using new approaches to detect malware. They're entirely behavioral related. Silence in particular uses an algorithm that it tweaks maybe two or three times a year to detect malware. So there's no signature-based protection. And a lot of analysts have said that this could be the future going forward. A lot of the legacy antivirus companies Companies probably justify and feel threatened by it, that these new companies are taking some of their market share. But it's also questionable if these new solutions are actually working in the way that they're marketed. I spoke with a couple of A-B testing organizations, and both of them sort of expressed skepticism around Silence's product, not necessarily because it doesn't work, but more because Silence hasn't really participated in antivirus testing as much as the legacy antivirus vendors have, making it very difficult to make a comparison between the two styles of detection. How does Sophos detect malware? Sophos uses signatures as well as behavioral detection. Even the legacy antivirus vendors are the ones that are sort of dismissively referred to as that. Use a combination of techniques to detect malware. Some are behavioral based, some are both the old signature detection, whereas you find a piece of malware, you create a pattern that helps your program identify it, and then you can detect it from that point onward. But security experts are saying that that style of detection is outdated because you have to detect new malware, and there's constantly new malware out there, and you can't be reactive in trying to find it. You have to be proactive and kind of detect it, even if you haven't seen it before on a machine for true protection. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you. 
We're years away before healthcare organizations completely flesh older medical devices running software that vendors no longer support. As Healthcare Info Security Executive Editor Marianne Kolbesak-McGee reports, organizations can begin taking crucial steps to minimize the security risks posed by those legacy products. Most of our systems were not designed with security as core requirements. So it's not really surprising that things can be compromised. That's medical device cybersecurity expert Kevin Fu. He directs the Archimedes Research Center for Medical Device Security at the University of Michigan. Rather than worry about all the ways that things could go wrong, why don't we just design away the problems in the first place? And so that comes down to some really basic engineering. It's going to take some time, though. We've got these supply chains sometimes with five or ten years in the making flush out all the old software um, that didn't have the kind of security requirements you'd expect of something connected to the Internet. So it's, it's going to be a while. The Food and Drug Administration is urging medical device makers to develop new products with cybersecurity a top consideration for the life cycle of the devices. In the meantime, tens of thousands of healthcare organizations continue to use older medical devices that run legacy software and operating systems, such as Microsoft XP, that vendors no longer support, and that creates security and safety risks. If a device becomes compromised, then it's entered an unpredictable state that the manufacturer had not anticipated. And so if it's entered this unpredictable behavior, you can no longer count on that device to be safe and effective. Organizations can take steps to address security weaknesses in legacy devices. As a starting point, Foo suggests enumerating the risks that the devices pose. After all, it's important for organizations to understand their assets so they know what vulnerabilities they must remediate. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Let's step back for a moment from the hubbub surrounding a decision not to prosecute former Secretary of State and presumptive Democratic Party nominee Hillary Clinton for using a private unsecured email server that might have exposed classified information. There's been a huge amount of finger pointing and angst and complaining about whether rules were followed or whether they weren't, about pointing out other individuals in previous administrations who've done the same or worse with less consequence. That's Purdue University computer science professor and renowned IT security expert Eugene Spafford, who counts computer ethics among his specialties. But I haven't heard anyone talk about going back and looking at what are the fundamental reasons these things happen and giving some thought to at least asking if the rules are appropriate, if their procurement and email support for high-level officials is appropriate, and how should we be doing all of this better to avoid these kind of problems in the future. I think this is more politically driven than it is functionally driven, because if it was functionally driven, people would say, what are the root causes and how do we fix them, rather than trying to assign blame. One of those root causes is a federal requirement to archive emails, but it doesn't take into account the fact that people use their email accounts for both professional and personal uses. In lots of different places, that's what we all do with our accounts. It's more convenient for one account. And that leads to problems meeting the requirements for archiving mail and turning it over to the National Archives and Records Administration. And so there we have a conflict between actual practice and rules. Don't get spat wrong. He believes the government must protect classified materials. But he also believes it's incumbent among technologists to create ways for users, including secretaries of state, to employ technology securely to do their job. 
this whole thing is not a black and white issue the way some people want to present it. The Secretary of State is basically a 24 by 7 job. If you diminish or deny whoever's in that office the ability to communicate with ambassadors and staff and others, is that merely to keep a record under the Official Records Act or you know, pick any particular regulation. But by diminishing that role, is that the right thing to do? One might argue it is not that it is more important for the nation, if not the world, for that person to be able to get information and react quickly. Spaff points out that it's not uncommon to find military leaders who don't always go by the book. You have people in the field who have to do their job. They can't follow all of the security protocols because they're too cumbersome. It's a choice between do they accomplish their mission or do they follow all the rules. And in large part, this is because the technology has evolved faster than the rules have. And we're still trying to apply rules that were written for paper records to electronic ones. And that makes things much more difficult. Unlike Clinton, who because of her position, rightly or wrongly circumvented the State Department email system, that option wasn't available to others. Technologists should create systems to allow Clinton, or for that matter others, to work comfortably and efficiently to achieve their objectives without having to force them to conform to rules and systems that will restrict the ways they do their jobs. It's a worthy goal, but in reality, one that is years away. Yet Spath's right. Secure systems need to be tailored to how people function in their jobs. Meanwhile, we'll continue to see people either do their jobs less efficiently or not at all, or, as Clinton did, evade the rules. Finally, Data Breach Today editor Matthew Schwartz shares his thoughts on the resurgence of the website Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison is back. The infidelity-focused dating service, tagline, Life is Short, Have an Affair, suffered a massive data breach and data dump in July 2015 and gave former CEO Noel Butterman the boot in August. Now, parent company Avid Life Media, based in Toronto, is back with a new leadership team, and it wants to kiss and make up with subscribers. Of course, 30 million subscribers saw their name, address, email, and even GPS coordinates get leaked via the breach and dump, which was carried out by a hacker or hacking group calling itself the Impact Team. Furthermore, Avid Life Media has been the target of multiple class action lawsuits, and it's also under investigation by the U.S. Federal Trade Commission. Despite the security and privacy transgressions, however, just four months after the breach, the site claimed that it had already landed 5 million new subscribers. Evidently, the site's target audience is the forgiving sort. For ISMG, I'm Matthew Schwartz. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time. Music